This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Deborah Yao from Knowledge at Wharton, and I'm here to welcome Brian Berkey, who is a professor of legal studies and business ethics at Wharton. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks for having me. So we're here to talk about your paper on effective altruism, and your paper has a very intriguing uh, title. It says, The Institutional Critique of Effective Altruism. First, can you tell us what effective altruism is and why that's important? Yeah, so effective altruism is a relatively kind of recent uh, social movement that is kind of structured around some core philosophical commitments. So effective altruists believe, for example, that uh, we should direct our charitable resources in the ways that will do the most good, right? that will be sort of most effective at uh, achieving goals like helping the global poor or um, mitigating existential risk, addressing climate change, whatever we might think are the most morally important um, goals that uh, we should be focused on. How is that this different from just how people generally give, for example? Aren't they all effective and, and helpful? Well, so not all ways of giving are particularly effective and helpful. Uh, but even among charitable organizations that do valuable work, some do much more good than others. Right. So effective altruists are interested in developing uh, knowledge about which organizations actually do the most good. Right. So the thought is something like, if you're going to direct resources to charities, you should think carefully and look at the empirical evidence that's available about what's actually accomplished by different charitable organizations uh, so that uh, if you're going to donate with the aim of, for example, helping the world's worst off people, uh, it's much better to give to an organization that, you know, for every $5,000 will save three people's lives than uh, to organizations that, for example, require $20,000 to save one person's life. So what was the goal of your paper? What did you set out to achieve? So the basic idea that uh, proponents of the institutional critique have is that effective altruism focuses too much on efforts to provide sort of direct aid to people who are in need uh, and that results in the neglect of efforts to address what they sometimes call the root causes of problems like global poverty. And in particular, what they think we should be focusing more attention on are efforts to change global institutional structures that they think tend to sort of entrench poverty, global inequality, and some of the other um, forms of um, – global injustice that uh, both they and effective altruists are concerned to address. So there's an extent to which I share the concern about global institutional injustice, but it's important as individuals who are deciding what to do with our time and resources to 
think about the kinds of effects that our own efforts can actually have in the real world. So if there were millions and millions of people all over the world committed to working together to reform unjust global economic institutions, then it would be much more likely that uh, any particular individual would do more good by contributing to those efforts than by, uh, for example, directing their time and money to uh, more kind of small-scale efforts to improve the lives of people who are suffering. But in a world in which that kind of political activity seems like it might be pretty unlikely to succeed, I think we have to think carefully about the likelihood that our efforts in that direction will actually succeed in um, accomplishing anything that really benefits people who are suffering, uh, given that there are organizations that we can direct our time and resources to uh, that have proven records of doing a lot to help people in need. Uh, For example, one of the organizations that uh, effective altruists tend to recommend that people donate to is the Against Malaria Foundation that provides bed nets. Uh, that prevent people from contracting malaria. This is a very effective organization that uh, clearly reduces the rate at which um, uh, people are struck with uh, malaria in parts of the world in which uh, malaria is common. This is clearly a very good thing to do. And given that we have the opportunity to uh, direct resources to an effort like that with a proven record of of success in making life better for people uh, who are badly off, I think we at least need to weigh the kind of uh, likelihood that other efforts will uh, accomplish anything significant uh, against the fact that there are ways that uh, we can uh, clearly do a fair amount of good. And so that's one of the main aims of the paper is to kind of defend some kind of principle that requires that we take probability of success into account when we're kind of deciding how we're going to use our charitable resources and time and so on. Uh, And this is uh, consistent with the principles that effective altruists tend to accept. And it's not clear to me that proponents of the institutional critique can accept what seems like this pretty plausible principle that requires taking into account probability of success. So one of the example or analogies you have in your paper was that of a doctor tending to uh, a wounded soldier mm-hmm. and uh, being criticized for not addressing the roots, uh, the root cause of war in the first place. But, you know, I mean, everyone knows that that's kind of ridiculous. A doctor is there to save lives. And even if he or she can only save a few lives on the field, uh, they're morally uh, they're morally obligated to do so. Uh, but you're saying that the institutional critique would take aim at this very same doctor for not addressing the root causes of, of war. Um, and that's and uh, and then that's kind of the basis uh, for your paper. Right. So this analogy uh, is not uh, one that I came up with myself. This comes from uh, the philosopher Jeff McMahon, who uh, makes an argument that's uh, at least somewhat similar to mine um, in a piece in the Philosopher's Magazine, uh, and he says that uh, 
the claim that all of our efforts should always go toward addressing the root causes of some problem, which seems to be what many of the proponents of the institutional critique uh, want to be suggesting, would imply that there's something problematic about a doctor tending to wounded soldiers rather than uh, working to eliminate the root causes of war. And this seems deeply counterintuitive. Uh, and so uh, to the extent that the cases really are analogous, uh, then that provides, I think, a fair bit of support for um, effective altruism against the institutional critique. So uh, one of the things I'm trying to do in my paper is kind of uh, expand on this point that Jeff McMahon makes and kind of address somewhat more directly the uh, arguments that proponents of the institutional critique have uh, offered. So what led you to this um, exercise uh, looking into the institutional critique of effective altruism in the first place? Um, what, was it part of a, a bigger project or you were just interested in the topic? So it's related to some previous work that I've done. Uh, so I've written about moral demandingness more generally. So this is the issue of how much of, for example, our uh, disposable income we're obligated to direct to efforts to alleviate suffering around the world. Uh, and I've argued that we should accept at least a fairly demanding view, a view that's much more demanding than most people uh, tend to accept and certainly much more demanding than people's behavior tends to um, reflect. And I've also done some work in political philosophy that aims to defend the view that principles of justice apply not only to matters of institutional policy and individuals, you know, kind of strictly political activities like voting and uh, uh, and similar things, but also to individuals' uh, behavior in day-to-day -day contexts. Uh, so I think that individual efforts to directly improve the lives of badly off people can be required by principles of justice and can improve a society in terms of, of justice, right? It can make a society less unjust if people voluntarily... Uh, you know, for example, give up some of their disposable income to help people who are uh, among the worst off in society. And that's true even if nothing changes uh, at the level of government policy. Uh, and that's a view that's relatively unpopular in contemporary political philosophy. Uh, and I take the institutional critique of effective altruism to be uh, at least kind of part of the family of views uh, among people who think that justice is in some sense fundamentally about institutions and not about how individuals behave within uh, institutional structures. So the paper responding to the institutional critique of effective altruism is in some sense part of my larger project of arguing that individual behavior within institutional structures is relevant to justice uh, and is something that we can be morally obligated to do. In your paper, you also mentioned an inconsistency in the beliefs of um, institutional, in the institutional critique of effective altruism. Can you explain that a little bit more? 
toward the end of the paper, I suggest that there is something like an inconsistency in the way that the institutional critics aim to combine a demanding account of how the world needs to change in order to be just and the kind of moderate account of individuals' obligations that I think many of them uh, also want to endorse. So the basic thought is something like this. If the world requires radical changes in order to become just, it seems unclear how those changes could be brought about unless individuals make pretty radical changes in the way that they live their lives, the values that drive their behavior, and so on. Now, what the institutional critics seem to want is changes in individual behavior with respect to explicitly political conduct, right? So they want individuals to start voting differently, to go out and protest more, to kind of work together on campaigns, to try to change institutional policy. Um, But at least many of them don't think that uh, individuals are obligated to do things like give up a substantial portion of their income regardless of whether the institutional structures change or not. Uh, And I don't get to discuss this in a lot of detail in the paper, but there's a worry about the kind of motivational structure that would be necessary in order for people to be motivated to work toward the political changes that the institutional critics want to see – while at the same time not being motivated to make sacrifices to directly help people in need. Um, You might think that uh, there's something puzzling about a person who's willing to vote to have their taxes increase dramatically, but not willing to just give up the money that they think the government should be taking when giving up the money voluntarily would do just as much good to help the people who we all agree – are unjustly disadvantaged. So realistically speaking, many people actually do a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. They both give uh, directly and they both also vote uh, according Mm -hmm. to what they believe in. So what are some maybe practical takeaways you can give to our listeners and how they can use, you know, uh, uh, the arguments set forth in your paper to become uh, a better um, a person or a better giver to the, let's say, the global poor to disadvantage. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's it's great that many people are engaged in the kind of political activity that the institutional critics support. I should be clear that you know the aim of my paper is certainly not to discourage people from getting involved in politics and working for the kinds of institutional changes that. Um, would make the world more just. I think that's an important uh, an important thing for people to be doing. Um, I just think it's also important that people take seriously the good that can be done by directing uh, some of their disposable income to organizations that more directly help uh, people who are in need. And so I think uh, one of the takeaways of the paper is that both of these things are valuable and both might even be 
morally required. I encourage people to kind of look at the websites of effective altruist organizations like GiveWell and Giving What We Can for uh, recommendations uh, on uh, places to direct charitable donations that uh, the evidence suggests are especially effective at helping people in need. How will you follow up this research? So uh, I've got another paper that I've been working on um, that defends the view uh, that as a social movement, effective altruism can be uh, at least relatively ecumenical with respect to uh, philosophical commitments, uh, in particular commitments in uh, moral and political philosophy. So one of the um, other criticisms of effective altruism uh, that has been raised by some critics is that it's a kind of project of people committed to a very specific uh, theory in moral philosophy, namely utilitarianism, the view that uh, what we should aim to do is kind of maximize total happiness in the world. Um, and it's true that uh, many of the uh, people who've been involved uh, prominently in the effective altruist movement are utilitarians. But effective altruism is concerned primarily with beneficence, with uh, the reasons that we have to help people in need. Uh, and you don't have to be a utilitarian to think that we have strong reasons to help people who are suffering or victims of injustice or disadvantaged in some other way. Uh, in fact, I think believing that we have demanding requirements of beneficence is consistent with a wide range of commitments in ethical theory. Uh, and so uh, in this second paper on effective altruism, I sort of aim to defend that view and to suggest that uh, effective altruists them sh themselves should highlight the fact uh, more than they've made the effort to do uh, to this point, I think, that their core philosophical commitments uh, are consistent with a broad range of uh, views in ethics. Uh, and the core is really just uh, a certain view about the strength of our reasons for uh, helping people in need uh, and the view that our decision-making should be guided by the best empirical evidence available about what uh, will most effectively help people. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, you can find more insights from Knowledge at Wharton on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also find all of our podcasts on iTunes. If you like what you hear, or even if you don't, please leave us a review. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 